Well, this morning we're, uh, we're going to take a, a short exodus from Exodus, and we're going to, yeah, I know that's a kind of a pastory thing to do, just make a dumb pun, but I did it, so let's get past it now. We're going to move on. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, um, and we're going to take a look at a couple, we're going to hone in on a couple of verses, but, um, you know, as I think about what Christmas is, is all about is, is the gospel, and the gospel means good news. The good news is that that sinful man has been given a way of escape from God's judgment. And not only that, but has been given a, a way to be made right with God Himself, to become a child of God, and to inherit the promise of everlasting life with Him. So, you know, when we think about the gospel... Um, there's usually a few bullet points that pop in our head, right? Mankind is sinful and separated from God. Jesus, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to take our punishment for sin so that those who believe in Him would inherit eternal life. And that, that is the truth. But that is not the whole Gospel, I would say. There is much more to the story than just those bullet points, those though those are crucial and they are true, there is more to the story than just that. And so as we look at uh, Luke chapter 1 this morning, um, and specifically the the part we're going to hone in on is what's known as the Magnificat, that's Mary's song, where she magnifies the Lord after after, uh, um, becoming pregnant with, um, with Jesus. And so... Uh, before we do that, though, um, we're going to cover a lot of territory, and we're going to try and cover it fairly quickly as we work up to, to Luke chapter 1, verses 54 and 55, and, um, because I want us to take in the scope of, of what the, uh, the foundation that this revelation of the birth of Christ all rests upon, because Mary's song... Um, as it's probably entitled uh, a little heading in your Bible, Mary's song um, is, doesn't just come out of nowhere. It comes out of generations and generations of hoping and looking forward to the promise of God being fulfilled. And so when, when the birth of Christ um, is announced and, and Mary um, it's an, uh, is given the word that she is going to give birth to this Savior, to this Messiah. Uh, it, is, it, is, it, it is like the... Uh, boy, how, how do I describe it? Um, imagine, it I, I imagine a little bit like my wedding day, and, and it was like there was sort of a, a, a large port part of my... Uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, growing up years there, kind of thinking about what it would be like to be married someday and having this little inkling of hope like maybe one day I'll get married, you know. And then, and then I met this phenomenal woman that I wanted to marry and I knew it. And we got engaged. And then there was this period of a few months of engagement where we made preparations for uh, the wedding and our life together beyond that. And... Um, but still, I was a single guy, you know? I mean, I'd made a commitment, but I was still a single guy. And, and then the day of the wedding came, and it, I, it, it just, like, really hit me. Um, 
in a different way. Like I knew what I was getting into, um, but uh, in, I mean as much as I could, right? Um, but, you know, just the day of the wedding, all of a sudden it dawned on me that in a couple hours, your life has changed forever, right? It's, it's stepping into new territory and you're never going back from that. You're moving forward in that. And uh, it was exciting, but it was so new. And then we actually got married, and it was like, now we're in it. It's like we had crossed the line. We had stepped into that life together where everything is different now moving forward in this covenant of marriage. So it was like that, that day was just this explosion of something that I'd looked forward to, and it was like all of a sudden it's here. Like, this is the day. Well, even way more than that, is, is what's happening here with Mary when the birth of Christ is announced to her. And how she responds. This is not just her looking forward to something. It's her, 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 her parents, her grandparents, generation upon generation upon generation waiting for this very moment in history. And so Mary's Magnificat is an explosion of praise from her, but really on behalf of a, of a whole uh, nation of people. And so we're going to look back to get some of the foundation from that. So um, I'm going to move through here pretty quick. The passages are going to be on the screen for you this morning because um, uh, we're just going to try to move fairly quickly here. So we're going to start actually in Genesis. We're going to look at where this promise began. There's a promise that's going to be fulfilled that um, and in the announcement of the birth of Christ to Mary. And so we're going to take a look at it in Genesis chapter 22, verse 15. There's a band named Abraham that God made a covenant with. And, and as we work our way through the story of Abraham, God sort of gives more information and more information about this covenant. And in chapter 22, God has already made this covenant with Abraham and said that through Abraham, the nations are going to be blessed, that Abraham's descendants are going to be blessed. And, and previously, God told Abraham that this was going to happen while Abraham had no children. And Abraham was an old guy. And, um, and his wife was barren. And there really was no earthly hope of him ever having children. And, but God gave him a son. And this son was cherished by them. And in this son was what this hope was rested upon. That God was going to fulfill his promise to Abraham um, through his son Isaac. And then this day came when God said to Abraham, sacrifice your son, your one and only son whom you love. And Abraham walked in obedience. And Abraham took his son and prepared to sacrifice his son and at the moment where Abraham was ready to take the knife and, 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 and follow through with the sacrifice, an angel stopped him. And, um, and that's where we enter into the story here in Genesis chapter 22, verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. The interesting thing there is there's this um, 
uh, speaking to all the descendants of Abraham, but yet in this one spot here in verse 18, and in your offspring shall all the nations uh, of the earth be blessed, or actually, I mean right before that, and your offspring um, shall possess the gate of his enemies. There's this sort of curious thing in here in the promise that seems to point to a person more than a line of descendants. Um, And verse 18, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So God gives this promise to Abraham that he's going to fulfill that that promise to bless the nations through him. And there is this, in, in this, in, in God's calling of Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son, there is this clear foreshadowing of what is to come when God the God of all, who created all things, provides His one and only Son to become our sacrifice for sin. And while Abraham couldn't quite clearly understand that, clearly as we look upon this, and even with the, with the benefit of, of the New Testament looking back on this, we see clearly this was a pointing forward that God is going to send a Savior for the world in Jesus Christ. In fact, that's kind of what we've been looking at as we've wor- been working our way through Exodus. And so we're gonna, I'm going to read a couple of passages here from Exodus. Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 through 8. Uh, as God builds upon his, this covenant with His people and keeps reminding His people of this covenant and keeps calling them back to this covenant relationship where they will hope and trust in Him, um, and remember in Exodus, in this part of Exodus, God's people, uh, Israel, are slaves in Egypt. They've been pleading with God to rescue them out of their, their torment in slavery. And God has provided Moses to lead them out. Now, he hasn't led them out yet in this, at this point in Exodus, um, but he has provided Moses to lead the way, uh, lead the people out of slavery in Egypt. And God is going to bring judgment against Egypt uh, as, as part of the story unfolds. But um, before that happens, here's what God says. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel from the Egyptian, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I, am the, that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So God reminds his people that he's going to rescue them, that he's going to make them a, a people, a, their own nation, their own, their own place to call home. And as we work, have been working our way through Exodus, one of the things that we have seen about Exodus is that God takes uh, earthly things to, to reveal heavenly truths and realities. 
So here, as we have, uh, God does follow through, as we know, as we've worked our way through Exodus, God follows through with this to rescue his people out of Egypt. But the, the, the whole thing here is a foreshadowing of something even greater that God is going to do. It, the biggest problem of humanity was not, was not a physical slavery. The biggest problem of humanity was slavery to sin. This is the slavery that ultimately is being pointed forward towards here in Exodus. This looking forward to when God releases humanity from the bond of sin through a Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this promise keeps building and God gives a little more and a little more information and revelation of what is to come. Exodus chapter 12 gives even more of a revelation to this promise that God is unfolding and how it points forward to the ultimate salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. Exodus 12, see, as God worked His way through the judgments of Egypt, uh, upon Egypt, and um, it comes to the last judgment that's getting ready to happen. And the final judgment is going to be the death of all the firstborn in Egypt. But God gives His people, those who fear Him and trust Him, a way of escaping His judgment. And this is uh, what this is about right here. So uh, Exodus chapter 12, let's pick up in verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make uh, your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with the unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat of it uh, raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall, not, uh, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This last plague of the taking of the firstborn is a pointing forward to the judgment that's going to come to all sinners. And the blood of the lamb, the sacrificed lamb here, where God's judgment passed over those homes who feared him and trusted him and put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, pointed forward to the ultimate fulfillment of salvation when God's judgment passes over those who trust in his son who became our sacrifice, Jesus Christ. In fact, 
the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, even says that it is Christ who is our Passover lamb. And so these earthly things here that were taking place as being rescued out of slavery and the wiping of, a, of, of blood on the doorpost gets, reveals heavenly truths in the coming of Messiah. Isaiah chapter 9 again spoke of this Messiah more specifically. In chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness. Now this is an interesting passage. As you, as, in fact, this is a, a great one to, to put a little uh, uh, marker in and then go read the, the birth accounts uh, uh, in the Gospels of Christ because you're going to see this mention of, of things that go back to things that are foretold through Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And then move down here to verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Back to verse 7 there, you'll see in, 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 in Luke, Luke's gospel, when the angel comes to Mary and reveals to her what is about to take place, that she's going to give birth to Christ, the Messiah, this is the very thing that the angel says. Is uh, Isaiah 9, verse 7 to her. It refers to that. So now we're going to... That, that, that while that is not the entirety of the backdrop, that is, is more or less the backdrop. Now, I thought about summarizing um, Luke's Gospel in the first chapter here as um, the birth of Christ unfolds. And then I, I, just, I just thought, you know, I can't do any better than what God has already done here for sure. And so what I'm going to do, because I want us to take in uh, the revelation of, of Christ here being uh, announced and the birth of Christ um, being mo- uh, moving forward here to the birth of Christ, we're going to pick up at a very important part of the story because the birth of John the Baptist is intertwined with the birth of Christ. Uh, in fact, the Scriptures foretold that there would be a forerunner to Christ. There would be someone who would come before Him to prepare the way for Messiah. And that is John the Baptist. And so we're going uh, to read through Luke's Gospel here in chapter 1 uh, as we work our way towards a couple verses that we're really going to uh, hone in on, uh, kind of cap this off with. And so uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. And follow along with me if you would. In the days of Herod, so with all, keep all that backdrop in mind, by the way, uh, that this building towards God entering the world to save people from sin and give them a future and a hope that is eternal. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. 
And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, we've been studying um, the tabernacle. The, the temple is, is uh, built in likeness to the tabernacle. So in the temple here where Zechariah is serving, there is a most holy place. And there is a holy, the holy place outside of that. They're separated by this, uh, by this very heavy curtain. Um, and they are not allowed to enter into the most holy place. But here, uh, Zechariah is on duty and has been chosen to serve in the holy place where there would be the, bread, the table of the bread of presence and the, um, the, the uh, candle, the lighted lampstand uh, and the altar of incense. And so um, we've been kind of looking at that, and so you can kind of place where Zechariah was here. Verse 10, And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the, Lord's, for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that, these, that this, uh, these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when this time of service when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month, that is the, the sixth month of, uh, of Elizabeth's uh, pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give uh, to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Remember the baby, John the Baptist, being filled with the Holy Spirit even in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. When we get to Mary's song here, there's three parts to it. Um, The first part, Mary just magnifies God for the way that He is personally blessing her and being powerfully present with her. For His faithfulness to her. She feels this very, very deeply. She is moved, and so was Elizabeth. Just moved that that God would, would look upon her and choose to use her to be the vessel of His blessing to the nations. And then the second part is when we get to verse 50 through verse 53, looks at God's powerful presence and His help for all of those who fear Him and trust Him. In fact, um, Mary acknowledges here that the way God works is different than the way the world works. That in fact, the way God works is to, to... Uh, pretty much take everything that the world would say is important and turn it on its head. And she says, 
that He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Who is it that's going to give birth to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of all? Mary. A humble girl who's yet a virgin from a humble town. Not not some, some queen somewhere, but Mary. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. Those who are lacking will be filled up and those who, earthly speaking, are filled up will be spiritually lacking because to be full of what God gives is is to make it look like those who are earthly full, full of earthly things, are needy. He has helped his servant. He has, uh, and so uh, there's this um, there's this strange thing happening where God is taking those things where we might look at it as human beings and say this is important. It's important important to have strength. It's important to have influence. It's important to have wealth. God says the thing that is really important is that you be spiritually strong, that you be spiritually wealthy, and that He is the one who provides that strength and wealth. In fact, the Apostle Paul, reflecting on this uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, says this, um, I think we have it up here, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross is foolishness in the world's way of thinking, but it's the power of God. In verse 27 going on there, it says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And, and that, that is abundantly clear as God chooses Mary to be the one who carries the Son of God. And then she says in the last part of, of her uh, of her song here, it is a, a, a focus on God's faithfulness to His people through His covenant promise. And, and she says, He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. God is faithful through all these generations when generation after generation looked forward to when is that time going to come to pass? When is God going to fulfill His promises? When when is it going to happen? And it is happening right here, right now for Mary. And she's seeing the faithfulness of God being revealed on a great scale. And there's an interesting thing that happens here upon the entrance of Christ into the world. Remember, we've kind of been looking, as we've looked at Exodus, we've kind of talked also about um, just this, uh, this promise being um, uh, for the Jews, um, but that ultimately the gospel is, is to all people. That the revelation of Christ is for all peoples, not, not just uh, the, the blood descendants of Abraham, but in fact there's this, this new understanding that takes place, and that is that the descendants of Abraham who will inherit the promise that God has passed down from generation to generation are not those who can t- trace a family tree through, through birth parents uh, back to Abraham, but those who can trace a lineage of trusting God 
fearing God back to Abraham. Here's what I mean. Let's look at Galatians chapter 3 real quick as it talks about this. Galatians chapter 3, Paul talks about this in verse 7. Let's look at look there. I'm going to back up from verse 9, take in a couple more verses. Know then that this is those uh, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In fact, Jesus brought this revelation in John chapter 8 when he inter- interacts with the religious leaders, and they claim to have their father as Abraham, and he says, You got it wrong. Your father is Satan, and your life shows it. Because if their father had been Abraham, that meaning the father in the faith, that they had a faith like their father Abraham, they would have known who Jesus was when he showed up. And so the Apostle Paul writes to the Galatians and says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that is, the, those who weren't Jewish, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so this, this promise is unfolding here, not just to those who are blood descendants of Abraham, but to those, rather, who are descendants of by faith, like Abraham. In fact, we go over to verse 14 in chapter 3 there of Galatians. It goes on further. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. The blessing that's talked about, that God mentions to Abraham, that He's going to bless the nations, is Jesus Christ. And then to finish off here in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Who are sons of God in faith? Those who are Jewish by birth? No. Um, those uh, who, who, who just call themselves children of God? No. But it is those who are in Christ Jesus who are sons and daughters of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you, all, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. And so Mary, she says... He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. He's remembered. He's remembered His covenant. He's bringing the Messiah to His people. The long-awaited Messiah to deal with not slavery in Egypt, as big of an issue as that was, it's slavery to sin and the resulting judgment of God upon our sin that needs to be dealt with. And Mary is rejoicing that God has not forgotten. God has always remembered And today is the day of salvation. My question for you is, Galatians talks about those who are sons and daughters of God are those who believe in Jesus Christ. Who by faith have their hope placed in Him for forgiveness of sin, for eternal life, 
to become sons and daughters of God through him. And so my question to you is, are you a son or daughter of God through faith in Christ? There's a lot of, John mentioned how the the world operates very differently than does God. And the world will say we're all children of God. We are all created by God, but we are not all children of God. Those who are children of God are those who have received his son by faith. Those are the children of God. He is those who receive him by faith. In fact, in John chapter 1, it says this, John chapter 1, verse 12. Um, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then you have become a child of God. You have been adopted into his family forever. You have been given the promise that was given to Abraham, which is that that he is going to bless you and, and keep you forever, that you are going to be a member of his family. So have you received him by faith? as your Savior and Lord. If you haven't, let today be the day where your soul will sing the same song that Mary sings, that today is the day where God's brought salvation to mankind for you, where you join with Mary in recognizing this blessing that has been brought to you, that your soul magnifies the Lord as Mary's did upon the news of Christ Because God has not forgotten. And he has come to save those who are lost. Of which all of us either are or were before coming to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you have not forgotten. You've not forgotten us in our sinful state that you had not forgotten us as we awaited your judgment to fall upon us, as we awaited to receive what was due to us because of our rebellious heart against you. Lord, it was yet while we were still sinners that you sent your Son to take our place on the cross, to become our sacrifice for sin, that our sins may be forgiven through his sacrifice that His righteousness may be applied to us. That we may become sons and daughters of You. That we would inherit the promise that was given to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and generation after generation. That promise that You were going to redeem, You were going to rescue, You were going to save, You were going to restore You were going to give a future and a hope. Lord, that day has come as the birth of Christ has come. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You have come to save us. And Lord, we give you thanks today for that. And I pray, Lord, for those who would receive you by faith today, that you would so fill their heart with an abundance of joy that they are forgiven 
that their sins are forgiven, that they have been wiped clean, that they are fully acceptable to you because of what Jesus Christ did for them. And we give you praise today. In his name, amen. In your heart for this very moment where he would invite you to become a child of his. Kind of fast forwarding here in the, in, in the birth story of Jesus. If we fast forward to John the Baptist is full grown, Jesus is full grown, and there's this event that happens in Matthew's gospel where John the Baptist is actually arrested um, for preaching the good news and, and telling people to turn from their sins and turn to God. And here's what happens when that happens. Verse 13 of chapter 4 of Matthew. And leaving Nazareth, he, Jesus, went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and uh, and, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The very first message that Jesus began to preach was to turn away from your sin and to turn back to God through Jesus Christ. And let today be that day. If you would like to commit your life to Christ, I'm going to stay up here after the service and I would like to, to help you take that step of faith to become a child of God. If God is preparing you, um, perhaps not to take your first step of faith, but rather to take a repentant step of faith to turn back to Him because you've wandered away, um, please come, come up and, and I'd like to pray with you and just, just help you kind of lay it out before the Lord and Take that step by faith of walking as the child of God that he made you through Christ. Lord, bless and keep you all as, uh, as you walk in his promises.